This is Marathon Training Academy, episode 311. This podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the ultimate daily all-in-one health drink with 75 proven vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients. That makes it easier for you to get comprehensive nutrition without the need for multiple pills, powders, or complex routines. Just go to athleticgreens.com forward slash MTA and you get a special offer of 20 free travel packs with your first purchase. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash MTA. NTA. Welcome to the Marathon Training Academy podcast, where we empower and inspire you to go the distance. I'm Trevor. And I'm Angie. In this episode, we speak with the authors of the book, Rebound. How to Train Your Mind to Bounce Back Strong After a Sports Injury. And of course, you can get all of our back podcast episodes, training plans, and more inside the Academy. Check out membership and coaching when you visit MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. So Angie, I guess the big news from the last week is that the Tokyo Marathon got canceled. Well, the Tokyo Marathon Foundation announced on Monday that its annual race, which was supposed to happen on March 1st, is canceled for non-professional runners. And of course, this is in an effort to slow the spread of the coronavirus in the region. So it will not affect the elite runners, many of whom are trying to qualify for the Olympics, which is also going to be held in Tokyo uh, this coming summer. But it does affect around 38,000 runners who were planning on being in Japan and running the marathon. 38,000. Yes. So they offered to defer spots to the 2021 race for those who are affected, although they will be required to pay their registration fee again for next year. We've heard from some people in our community who were planning on running the Tokyo Marathon. And of course, everyone is very disappointed by this decision. But they also understand, of course, that it's not worth spreading a virus that could be deadly. So a lot of mixed feelings, I'm sure, for many people. I know some people who are out their travel expenses and kind of scrambling to find a new race. And it kind of brings up the point that if you read the fine print for most race registrations, you'll find that they don't offer refunds in the event of cancellation. Of course, the race has already spent all the money pretty much needed to put on the event with it being this close. And it's probably not a cheap race to register for. I'm sure it's been very painful for runners on a number of levels. Um, Fortunately, races don't get canceled very often, but it may be a good thing to get travel insurance, especially if you're going to be going to an international race. And speaking of race registrations... Angie's going crazy registering for races, hitting that order button on her computer, right, Angie? I wouldn't call it going crazy. I registered (laughs) for two. (laughs) So Angie, what do you sign up for? Well, I signed up for the One City Half Marathon in Newport News, Virginia. That's actually on March 1st as well. And then I signed up for the Pittsburgh Marathon, which is May 3rd this year. I've heard great things about it. It's it's sort of one of our local, I mean, within a few hours races. Yeah, it's great. I did the Pittsburgh Marathon in 2018. It's a very tough, hilly marathon. It beat me up pretty bad. So looking forward to seeing um, how you and your sister handle the course. (laughs) So right on, you got a half marathon coming up really quick in Newport News, Virginia. And in the Pittsburgh Marathon on May 3rd, we do plan on having an MTA meetup. Last time uh, I was there and we had a meetup at the Pittsburgh Hofbräu Haus, which is this massive German restaurant. Can't miss the opportunity to have a meetup at the Hofbräu Haus. So that will be also in the works after the marathon. So if you're going to be there at the Pittsburgh Marathon or half, or you just live in the area and want to come hang out, definitely shoot us an email. Let us know that you're going to be there or that you want to come to the meetup. Send it to trevor at marathontrainingacademy.com. We also have a contact form on our website. We do have a discount code for this race. I think you can save, what is it, 15%? Yes, that's right. So message us if you want that code. Also, there's the Drury Hotel in Pittsburgh, in downtown Pittsburgh, which is really close to the expo and the starting line. It's a great place to stay if you're doing this race, and we can give you a discount on your room there as well. Um, They've been a longtime sponsor of the podcast, but you can save 15% on the cost of your room, actually at any of their locations. Uh, If you use the link on our website, that link generates the 15% off code. 
So yeah, excited about having some races on the calendar. And of course, I'll be at the Jerusalem Marathon in March. That's coming up quick too. That is, wow. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what's going on with us. Angie has a little news for us from folks that we're helping train, either people in the academy or clients or folks that listen to the podcast. So I want to make a couple shout outs here. This note comes from Jennifer. She says, I had low expectations for myself going into the Mesa Phoenix Marathon due to five weeks of illness in my household and not getting in enough long runs. I was on the 4 a.m. bus to get to the start and was able to see a beautiful moonset and sunrise. It was also a fast course and fun race venue. I was able to PR by just over four minutes, but the best was feeling good the last 5K. I highly recommend this race. Lots of BQs today. All right. Well, congrats on the PR, Jennifer. That's pretty awesome for not really feeling it that morning. But then, you know, as soon as she got out there on the course, she knew what to do, right? That's right. I think it's such a great example of how you just never know how a race is going to go. And sometimes you just have to show up and do your best and you often get a great outcome. And this note comes from Elena. She says, I officially became a marathoner. I completed the Austin Marathon in five hours, 30 minutes, and one second. I explored all new levels of pain, but I pushed through and found I'm extremely capable of hard things. There were a lot of times I didn't think crossing the finish line was going to be possible, but that feeling when I finally did was like nothing I've ever experienced. I'd like to thank MTA coach Kristen, who helped me bounce back from a severe asthma attack in July and made it possible for me to have this experience. I'd also like to thank all of you in the Academy for your constant support and motivation. I have what it takes to run a marathon. I'm already thinking I can beat my time and the soreness hasn't subsided yet. Guess that means I'm a real runner now. (laughs) That is what we love to hear. And she describes the first marathon very well, talking about how she explored all new levels of pain. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that feeling. Yes, you'll feel all the things during your first marathon and sometimes subsequent marathons. Fight all those battles, the doubt and the pain, and you just keep going on tired legs, especially after mile 20. You just grind it out and you cross that finish line and then the euphoria of crossing the finish line of your first marathon, really of every marathon. It's just nothing like it. Just ask Angie. She's done it 63 times, right? (laughs) It's got to be something in it. (laughs) I just saw your finish line video today from the Revel Coolia Marathon. You had a nice little dual double fist bump going on when you crossed. Yes, I managed to do it right this time. (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't like, what do I do with my hands, T-Rex arms? Usually I'm like pausing my watch, so I'm looking down or, you know, it's like some weird double chin moment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And this note comes from Marty. He says, hey, MTA family, I have good news to report. I just got a three minute plus half marathon PR. I did not hit my A goal, but I truly believe I can with a taper. This is my third week in a row with a race, and I'm in the midst of a marathon training cycle. As I shared last week, I've been working so hard for two years and had many setbacks along the way, so I'm so happy to see some payoff. I must admit some tears were shed. MTA Coach Lynn continues to challenge me, and you all continue to inspire me. I am a happy guy. All right, great to hear things are going well, Marty. Keep up the great work. Just want to encourage all of you just to keep showing up, putting in the miles, doing the work. And we hope that this conversation we're going to play for you now is a big help. We're going to focus on how to bounce back from injury. And even if you're not injured at the moment, we think you can still benefit from listening to this because running injuries are so common. It sort of happens to everybody eventually, doesn't it, Angie? Well, I mean, statistics say that if you run long enough, there's a very good chance that you will be injured. Uh, I would say there's a very tiny percent of the running population who I call are like the bulletproof runners. But even those people, I used to say like Dean Karnazes, but even he has suffered injury over the years. Well, he took a fall. He took a fall, but he's also had some other um, injuries crop up. So, you know, it's like if you run long enough and far enough, at some point, your body might say, I'm done (laughs) for a while. And it can be very challenging psychologically and physically on so many different levels to deal with injury because it's totally not what we want as runners. So the book is called Rebound, Training Your Mind to Bounce Back Stronger from Sports Injuries by two ladies, Carrie Jackson Cheadle and Cindy Kuzma. Angie, how did this interview come about? Well, I read this book last year, and the minute I read it, I was like, I wish I would have had this book in my hands five years ago 
for working with coaching clients who are dealing with injury. Yeah. Um, and so I've started recommending it to anyone who's injured or anyone who has to take a break from running for any reason. It doesn't even have to be injury. I just got an email yesterday from a lady who was dealing with amenorrhea. So she's lost her menstrual period and she's stopped running in an effort to get her hormones rebalanced. It was very difficult for her and she was reaching out for help. And so we know that the mental part of being a long distance runner is so important. And it's also very mentally demanding to deal with an injury or anything that goes wrong in life that you have to navigate. They give so many great practical tips in this book that I think will be very helpful for anyone in the listening audience, whether you're injured right now or not. All right. Well, let's go ahead and jump into our conversation with Cindy and Carrie right now. Well on my way, well on my way. I have to say that this book was one of the favorites that I read in 2019. And as I was reading it, I just thought we have to have these two on the show. I mean, it's kind of sad to like be excited about talking about injury. But when you work with so many runners, and you know, you truly want to be able to help them um, as much as possible, then it's like this is a topic that is is so important. Because unfortunately, if you run long enough, you know, you're going to deal with some sort of injury. It's just kind of one of those those sad facts. And so we want to give people the tools to not only come back stronger physically, but also mentally. And I think that's such an important piece that I don't see talked about very often. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's just awesome for us too, I think, to know that there's people out there that both get it and also support people with the mental recovery piece because Mm -hmm. it's just such a significant part of it. Yeah. So I thought, you know, maybe we could start off and you could each tell our audience a little bit about your backgrounds and maybe why you feel the topic of coming back stronger from sports injuries is so important. Kind of like what made you interested in this topic? Uh, Carrie, you want to go first? Yeah. Are you ready? Absolutely. Yeah. I was going to do a a formal introduction, but Angie just set it up. Oh, okay. She just teed it up really nice. So let's go. I know, right? Like we should just jump in. That's right. right. So um, my name is Carrie Jackson Cheadle, and I am a mental skills coach, um, CMPC certified, which is through the Association for Applied Sports Psychology. So I get the privilege of working with athletes on all of the factors that influence performance that happen uh, in between the six inches or so. I don't know how many inches between your ears, but my background is I studied psychology in my undergraduate. And uh, actually, when I graduated, I, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. And I like any good graduate that was a little bit lost, I ran off to South Lake Tahoe to pursue my own sports, um, which at the time were snowboarding and rock climbing. And it was through those experiences, I started to recognize some of the psychology behind performance and in particular, my psychology coming back from an injury. So then um, I discovered sports psychology and decided to go on and and pursue my master's degree in sports psychology and kind of hit the ground running ever since. And uh, I had an interesting experience in my graduate program where I injured my left knee again. So the injury that I originally had that I had such a challenging time coming back from was uh, an injury on my left knee, a torn meniscus and had surgery and had some other stuff cleaned up. And then the second knee injury was a different injury, but same knee. Um, and it was a torn MCL. And I was right in the, the second year of my program and studying sports psychology. And I was like, all right, I'm going to take everything that I'm learning and apply it to this injury experience. And oh my gosh, what a insane difference between that first injury and the second injury. I mean, profoundly different um, and came back to have my best season ever snowboarding. And so as soon as I had that experience, I knew, oh man, this is like, everybody needs to have this information. It took a while between that experience and finally like getting around to writing the book. (laughs) (laughs) Thankfully, um, I had a partner to do that with, but, uh, but yeah, man, I mean, that was one of the reasons it was so important to me was both my own experience. And then as I was working with athletes, inevitably some of the people that reached out to contact me had been coming back from injury and struggling um, with wondering if they want to continue and trying to get their confidence back. And so just seeing um, 
you know, it was both of those experiences where I, I realized like we got to do more for these athletes in the time where they need the most support, they're getting the least and, and nobody's really addressing this in a, in a bigger way. And so for me, that was one of the reasons I finally sort of decided to shift a little bit and focus more on that part of my business and my work with athletes. Uh, Cindy, what about you? Sure. Well, my name is Cindy Kuzma, and I am a freelance writer, journalist, um, which I have been for about a decade now, and written about a range of health and and medical and fitness and sports topics, but um, running is near and dear to my heart as a runner myself, a recreational adult marathoner. I haven't run quite as many marathons as you two, but um, I've run (laughs) 22. Awesome. That's more than um, me. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I, I guess we're probably not uh, looking to rank each other. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, I've run zero, so you yeah. guys are good. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I've contributed to Runner's World since about 2013. And in that time, have been injured many times myself. And I've also written a lot about injuries, um, both among elite athletes and among athletes such as myself, who are, would not be considered elite. And I really noticed how fascinating it was, um, the the ability that many elites and, and non-elites had to take injury and and come back from it a stronger, better athlete. I mean, you could see similar experiences were devastating to some people and actually were sort of a springboard to the next level of success for other people. And I was became very interested in what made that difference. And it seemed like it wasn't all physical, but in fact, it mostly wasn't. I mean, certainly there are some injuries that are, are more challenging to come back from physically, but, um, but obviously there's a bigger picture to it. And I've always been very interested in sports psychology as well. So I had interviewed Carrie on this topic a few times. And then eventually we came to the realization that there was a bigger project, um, that some of Carrie's work with injured athletes could be taken to a a bigger scale by putting something like this book out. And we decided to collaborate and make it happen. Well, I'm so glad you guys did. And I just love how it brings the mental piece into it because there are, you know, some books out there, especially specifically we're talking to runners here and how to come back from running injuries and the specifics of typically their lower body things and and the rates between acute and chronic or overuse injury. But I just love the titles of some of the chapters in the book. One of them is called Injuries Suck. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And anyone who's ever been injured knows that is so true. So talk about what are some of the common emotions that newly injured athletes go through? Yeah. When you're very first injured, um, one of the things we see is there's spikes in some of the, you know, kind of bigger negative emotions that you might experience when you go through an injury. And one of the spikes inevitably is the onset of injury and when you're first injured. And so um, it depends. There's other factors involved that might influence how an athlete responds to injury. However, a lot of the common ones are, um, at first it might be a little bit of denial, like, oh, it's maybe it's, you know, depending on the injury, like severity of the injury and what we're talking about, it might be like, well, maybe it's not that bad. Like I'll just take a week off. So sometimes that might be something that an athlete will go through. Uh, there's also, uh, sometimes anger involved and anger at blaming yourself, um, feeling like you should have been able to prevent it in some way or possibly anger at if you feel like someone else was maybe involved in your injury in some way. So that's another normal kind of natural thing to experience. Um, And then also sadness and depression and fear of re-injury. Guilt comes up a lot too for a lot of athletes. So in the beginning, it can be really challenging as you start to realize, uh, especially if you've been training for something, a big event in a marathon, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, I don't think I'm going to be able to to do this goal that I set out for myself. And it's um, there's some grief involved with that of just being bummed that you're going to have to miss out on the thing that you were training for. So you're kind of talking about the stages of grief, basically, that any you know traumatic event that you go through, the committee stages of grief. And so are you saying it's really no different if you go through an injury that you have to psychologically deal with it until you get to that place of acceptance? That's a big part of it. And um, it's... I think sometimes athletes don't, not all athletes go through this grieving process, but when you talk about the stages of grief, a lot of them will identify with that and realize like, oh my gosh, that's what's happening. Like, that's what I'm going through is just this natural, you know, I had this big goal in front of me. My athletic identity is a big part of who I am. I'm 
feel like I'm missing all of these things. I'm missing my tribe and the people that I, you know, have been with more hours than anyone else <laughs> as I'm training, mm-hmm. you know, so um, you kind of are missing all of these things. And so when you are experiencing your injury that way, that's exactly what's happening is, um, and it might not be linear. Like you might not be like going through the stages exactly in that form. And sometimes we'll kind of go back and forth if you hit a setback, but eventually that is what you're working towards is this place of like, okay, I really would prefer to not have been injured and this sucks. <laughs> but however, um, I'm, I'm ready to accept the fact that this is happening. And once you get to that place, that's when you really can reshift your focus on your recovery and what you need to do moving forward instead of being disappointed about what happened in the past and being disappointed about what you're going to miss out on in the future. You really are able to shift gears at that point and go, all right, so, so now what do I need to do? So how prevalent are running injuries? Are you aware of any of the numbers, the sort of the current numbers on that? Yeah, I mean, this is Cindy. I can speak to that a little bit. I mean, the statistics are vary pretty widely. I think it's, if you look at the studies, at the research, it's anywhere from like 75% to 95% of runners will be injured eventually. And I mean, it depends on how you categorize an injury, um, yeah. of course, and also the, the sort of method of reporting that people are using. But <laughs> I mean, I would say highly, highly common. I mean, it's a difficult sport. And, you know, one of the things that we really wanted to do with this book and all of these efforts is to normalize that and to help runners and all athletes know that this isn't something that takes you out of being an athlete. Like this is part of your athletic experience. This is part of your athletic journey. And so the more we can kind of accept it, like going back to that previous point on acceptance, the better we're able to kind of marshal our resources to deal with it. So why do you think that so many runners try to ignore an injury or get stuck in that stage of denial and kind of hope that they can train through it? (laughs) Because I'm like pointing fingers at myself in previous years. You kind of like just hope it's going to go away on its own. (laughs) Because after you pay 150 bucks for marathon registration, (laughs) you want to lose it. Yeah, Yeah. Cindy, do you do you identify with that at all? Like, have you ever gone through that experience yourself? Um, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there is that that time pressure that we have. I mean, if we've paid money, if we have a group that we're out there training with every week, um, it's so hard to. I I think as humans, we just have a really hard time thinking about the long term versus the short term. Like we're thinking about that one we're going to miss this weekend. We're thinking about that race we're going to miss in a couple weeks or a couple months. We're not thinking about our whole life as an athlete or our entire athletic career. It's just hard to to weigh those factors. Um, And why are we in denial? I mean, we just sort of hope that things will go away and we're we are not experts in our own biomechanics or our own physiology often so we're we're so tempted to just kind of downplay things and I think we had just have a hard time being in touch with and listening to our bodies um and hearing those messages that they're sending us sometimes uh yeah and because you don't want to hear it like you don't mm-hmm. want to hear the message that you can't run like that is not the message I I'm sorry but the the wiring in my brain is not going to compute that message because <laughs> I because you want to be able to do the thing that brings you joy and is, you know, part of your stress management and part of how you interact with the world. And so it's a natural response to just, you know, like every time I think about getting injured, like the very first thought that comes to me is like, no, 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 like, no, please no, like just over and over and over. It's just a natural response because you don't want to have to miss out on this thing that's a part of you. Do you think, I mean, I know sometimes my mind will start to catastrophize right away, like, oh, foot pain. Oh, no, if I'm going to get injured and now I'm not going to be able to do this race and this is going to be like a year long process. And you kind of tend to like go to a really dark place sometimes um, instead of looking at it more logically. (laughs) Do you find that it's pretty common? Yeah, absolutely. I would say that was something else that just came to mind was that we so often tend to think in black or white, like I'm injured or I'm not injured. I can do the training as planned or I have to stop running completely. And it's really hard for us to negotiate. I mean, Carrie can speak to this too, that like as humans, we just don't like uncertainty and we don't like those shades of gray and we don't like that middle ground. So we do tend to be either we're totally healthy or or it's all over. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, that's so true. We want answers. We're just um, wired naturally to seek meaning and to seek answers. And so sometimes that response of catastrophizing comes from that where you're just like trying to figure out immediately because you need to know what the answer is. Like, is what does this mean? Is this mean I'm out for the season? Like, And I think it is sort of taking a beat and taking a breath and not trying to time travel too far into the future. 
because that it's feeding our fears really right. when we catastrophize it's like oh my god what does this mean and what if i can't do the things that i set out to do instead of kind of pulling back and go okay well what's what's actually happening right now and what do i need to address right now with what's in in front of me um but sometimes that's a natural reaction too to just um and it comes from that fear of what it might be so i guess it's good to know that all this is normal like Whoever is listening out there and whatever, you know, they're dealing with, they're not alone, that they're not the only one. It's like we all have these stages that we have to go through and everything. So I think that's one really important thing that I got out of the book is this is very, very normal and it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of your journey as a runner. In fact, it can use it to come back even stronger. Reminds me of Tim Noakes in his book, The Lore of Running. He's got his 10 laws of running injury. The first law, injury is not an act of God. <laughs> <laughs> the universe is not out to get you. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. Do you find like certain personality types, like maybe more type A driven people take it a lot harder? Because Angie's different than I and people that listen to our show know this. I'm, I'm more kind of a goof off and don't train as seriously as she does. So an injury is going to weigh heavy on her more than it would on me probably. That's a great question. I think one of the things that we see is that part of an athlete's response to injury and and the degree to which it might impact them sometimes has to do with how high your athletic identity is. So um, when an athlete has a very high athletic identity and a lot of who they are as well as their self-worth is connected to that part of them, um, when you become injured, it's more than just, oh, okay, I'm injured. Now I got to do, you know, I got to do what I need to do in order to recover. It hits you in a, a different way. So part of it is, is that high athletic identity. And then a lot of it has to do with coping skills and what coping skills you kind of come to the table with when you get injured and, and how you utilize those coping skills. And that can be a significant factor as well. I know when you're pursuing a big running goal and you suddenly have to step away, maybe due to injury, it can leave a big void in people's lives. And maybe they don't have other coping skills. Maybe they're they're just a runner. They don't have any other sports or activities that they do. So it can leave a big gap in their lives. And I think one of the most helpful concepts in the book and the title of the chapter is called Recovery is Now Your Sport. So I'd like you to kind of talk about what you mean by that, because it was really super helpful, something I never really thought of before in context of injury. Yeah, I think I came up with that idea when I went through my own injury experience in graduate school. And I, I decided uh, I made that very conscious decision of like, okay, now my job is to do everything I possibly can in order to have the most beneficial optimal recovery as possible. So for me, that was a really important part of that journey. And I realized as I was working with athletes that that helped them, when I talked about that concept, that helped them hold on to their athletic identity so that they realized, oh, I'm still an athlete, but what I need to do right now in order to be an athlete has changed. So now I'm not able to do the thing, right? I'm not able to run but I am able to do everything I need to do in order to recover so I can get back to that. And that it's just your recovery is now your sport and all of the time and resources and energy you were putting into training now goes into rehabilitation. Hmm. And I think in our, in our book, you can see that in the stories of some of the athletes we have in there, for instance, triathlete Fiona Ford, who also has a fantastic book about her own recovery called Back on Track, where she goes even further in depth into how she did this. But she set up her um, rehab just like she would her training. I mean, she kept a log. She used metrics of like degrees of motion in her life. And she was in a very serious um, collision uh, with a bike and a car. And you know mm -hmm. who usually ends up winning. So she had a very long recovery. But that was one of the ways that she kept herself on track was really applying all of those things skills and techniques and tracking methods and all of those those things that make us athletes that, that help us to succeed at athletes and they're just applied in a different context so it really can work in that way well i hope you've enjoyed this conversation thus far we'd like to take a quick break and thank this episode's sponsor athletic greens Yes, you know that I'm a person of routines, and one of my morning routines is taking Athletic Greens. Um, I love it because it just gives me a burst of energy to start the day. It's great for digestion. It's great for covering your nutritional bases. Um, it gives you over 75 proven vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients. So it's a great way to get that comprehensive nutrition. 
And I love the travel packs to take with me when I'm traveling because sometimes it's hard to get in a good number of salads <laughs> when you travel. It's true. I really feel like it helps support your body's nutritional needs, including things like health, energy, immunity, gut health, hormonal and neural support, and of course, healthy aging. So you just mix the powder in water and it actually has a pretty good taste for a green drink. Yeah, we've tried a lot of green drinks. <laughs> Some of them you have to kind of plug your nose and gulp, but this yeah. one is great. You just take one scoop every day or one packet every day and it covers all the bases nutritionally. So to give it a try, go to athleticgreens.com forward slash MTA. And with your order, you can get 20 free travel packs. These are normally sold at 79 bucks, but you get it thrown in with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com forward slash MTA. So I know one thing that can be very challenging for people is to find supportive medical professionals to help you through the recovery journey. I mean, I know I've been told before to stop running and sometimes that's the answer. Well, if you just stop running, find something else going with your life. Um, and of course, that's not what a runner wants to hear. And most of the time, it's not what a runner needs to hear either. So do you guys have any tips on finding medical professionals who get it when it comes to understanding how important running is to a person? I think one thing to keep in mind is is it really is okay to get a second opinion. And the way you hold that getting a second opinion isn't, okay, well, this person just told me I can't run, so it's time for me to find someone else that's going <laughs> to give me a different answer, right? So we're not do, suggesting that, but but that it really is okay to get a second opinion because one thing to keep in mind is that sometimes you're dealing with medical professionals that they might not be athletes and they might not necessarily understand that um, aspect. And what I mean by that is they, um, you know, their job is to help you physically. And so they're looking at the physical piece and they're not necessarily trained in that mental piece and, and recognizing you just crushed my world. You have no idea what you just did to me by saying, well, you know what, you should probably consider quitting running or, or, well, yeah, it looks like running's out of your future. Like you have just blown up my entire world with one sentence. And so it's important to keep in mind that, um, not every medical professional you're going to be working with is necessarily, um, skilled at, at communication. And understanding that psychological piece. That's putting it delicately. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. You're so nice. <laughs> oh, oh my God, I know. I'm trying to be diplomatic because I, I think um, I think one of the great things that, that I hope this kind of moves into is starting to help train medical professionals in that and that you could just, you know, in changing one sentence, have a profound effect on the uh, mental health of the person in front of you. So it really is okay to get a second opinion to make sure that you have all of the information that you need to make the best decision for yourself with what's in front of you and to just recognize that they're not necessarily trained in that, but that doesn't mean that you can't find someone that does get it. Um, and look for, ask for recommendations, ask for referrals from, you know, look into the, you know, who's the sports medicine center that works with athletes in the area or ask a running group online or ask your, you know, training group that you're with, like kind of ask for referrals and because other runners are going to say, don't see this person, see this person. <laughs> Cindy, have you ever been told you can't run anymore? Or have you gone through that? Um, I haven't been told that I should never run again, although I do know many runners who have and who are currently running. And I don't know, Angie, if you've had this experience, but both among my my running friends and people I've interviewed uh, both for this book and otherwise, um, sometimes that is actually really powerfully motivating for people if they <laughs> encounter a healthcare provider who says, well, you should just stop running. That becomes like sort of a, almost like a rallying cry to prove that person wrong, um, which <laughs> has its pros and cons, right? But um, but I definitely have had um, healthcare providers who have told me, well, it's best to not run through this healing process and sought out second opinions and found, you know, it, it's, a, it's a tricky balance um, because you don't want to be seeking out that healthcare provider who's going to tell you, okay, just what you want to hear. Yeah. However, <laughs> um, to make sure that that person understands what your ultimate goals are and really has that knowledge of running and um, the effects of running and the effects of the injury on your running and what training through that injury might or might not do to you. Um, I, I've just found that it's helpful to ask a lot of questions and as Carrie says, um, ask for recommendations from people too. Yeah, I think that's so uh, true, Cindy, like just helping them to understand that you're not just being stubborn, mm -hmm. that this is a part of who you are and what 
makes meaning in your life. You're not just trying to not listen to the advice, but that you really want them to understand this isn't just about, oh, I'll just swim instead, that it's not just about that. I went through that experience with a, um, a back injury and working with a medical professional um, that said, well, you know, you should probably just not snowboard. And I said, well, you should probably find another patient because I'm <laughs> out of here. <laughs> you know, so it just, so, but you have to be careful, like to Cindy's point, you really do have to be careful about like, oh, well, am I just being stubborn or am I using that to go, all right, I know I can come back from this and I need somebody else that is going to understand how important this is to me and work with me within what's realistic for my body and my recovery to get me back to my goals if that's something that is possible. I think that's a great point because, yeah, we're not saying that you should run through everything. There are legitimate periods of time where you should not run through these injuries. I think more of the blanket statements like find a new sport or running is not good for anyone, kind of those mentalities. Those are the doctors I'm kind of thinking like walk in the opposite direction as quickly mm -hmm. as you can. <laughs> right, exactly. So let's talk to the folks that are listening right now who are injured. What hope can we give those folks? I mean, to Angie's point, uh, you're not alone. Um, we're, I mean, first of all, we're so sorry for what's happened to you. And you absolutely can and deserve to feel upset, to feel um, sad, to feel depressed, to feel anxious. You know, I think so often we do have all these emotional responses to injury, but sometimes we have feelings about our feelings, right? Like we feel, oh, well, actually, I mean, it's not that big of a deal. Why am I so upset? I don't understand why I'm so upset. It's just running. It's, but I, I think to a point that we made earlier, like you can't really get to that acceptance and that place where you can move on and even bounce back stronger from injury until you admit that you're feeling the way you're feeling and that you have every legitimate right to do so. So the first thing I always say to anyone who has an injury is I'm so sorry and I'm thinking of you and this must be really hard for you right now. Yeah. I think the other thing if you're out there right now and you're injured is to know that absolutely any emotion you have felt I guarantee you someone else has been there and felt it as well. Like there's nothing that you're going through that isn't something that um, somebody else hasn't felt. And so it's really normal. Like it's normal to have all of those emotions. You don't have to feel guilty for being upset that you're injured. I know that comes up um, often is uh, people will feel like, well, this isn't my job. It's not my profession. Like, why am I so upset? I shouldn't even be this upset over this thing. But of course you're upset. It's something that um, is meaningful to you and that you love and are passionate about and is also probably the thing that you use for your stress management and, and also your social outlet. Like it's tough when you lose that so that it's okay to any emotion that you feel is okay. Um, and then also to know you're not alone. I think um, sometimes when you're injured, it can feel very isolating when you're the one that's injured. And so, and that's part of the reason why we created the Injured Athletes Club and the Injured Athletes Podcast um, so that you people could connect with other people. Like even if there isn't someone there with you that is injured in that moment and, and you're able to get support that you can be able to connect with other athletes that are going through it and know um, that there's people thinking about you and there's people there that want to support you through the process. Um, and that, you know, I think the other thing is that you will get through it where your path is headed might be unknown at this point, but you will get through it. And if you are having big emotions right now, the way you're feeling right now isn't how you'll feel forever. Yeah. And just um, to add one bit of hope too, when people are ready to hear it, um, because this can, I think, vary in terms of when you are open to hearing this message or not. Um, but we interviewed more than 40 athletes for this book, a lot of runners, but all kinds of athletes. And some of them went through very severe life-altering injuries and almost all of them said in, to, in some way or another um, that while it was a terrible thing, they wouldn't wish it on anyone. It was one of the worst things that they had been through in some cases. They were all ultimately glad um, and they wouldn't change the past that they had gained and learned and become a different person and a better person and a better athlete on the other side. So just to know that that's possible is, I think, hopeful. Yeah, yeah, I, I know through the periods of injury that I've gone through, it's helped me to learn to listen to my body better um, and discover other 
disciplines that I enjoy, like yoga and strength training. And so all those pieces now fit together into my running to, you know, hopefully make me more injury proof, but also to give me other strengths um, that I probably wouldn't have before, as well as the whole mental piece that anytime you've overcome adversity or a challenge, it just gives you that added boost knowing that you can take on more, <laughs> kind of resets what you think is possible in your own mind, I guess. Yeah, it's it's funny because we've heard that from other people as well, that idea of like, um, it gave me an opportunity to actually work on a different part of my sport or my conditioning. Uh, and I actually came back a better athlete because of it, that we hear that a lot. And so just being able to kind of, even if you're not in the space, like Cindy was saying, like, <laughs> if you're not ready to hear this right now, just you don't have to believe it for yourself, but believe that this is true for other people and that sometimes there are opportunities in this challenge that's in front of you. Yeah. I appreciate those stories, those personal stories of people incorporated in the book. Our friend, Carrie Tollefson is an example and mm -hmm. she is such an upbeat person. And she talks about when she was an Olympic athlete going through her period of injury. And it's like a, a part of her story now. And she's used that to help so many runners out there through her own podcast and work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, if you know, Carrie, that she has so much empathy for other runners, too. And I think that that's a big part of where she gets that from is from the hardships that she went through on herself. So yeah, one part of the book. Now, I'm not currently injured. I haven't had like a major injury, thankfully, as a runner. But I was reading through the book and I came upon the emotional decoder. <laughs> and mm -hmm. even yesterday where I was kind of having a stressful day unrelated to running and I looked at the emotional decoder and I thought, okay, what am I feeling right now? Mm -hmm. And it's, oh, it's awesome. really a helpful tool. Can you guys talk about that for a minute? Yeah. I, I'm so geeking out right now that you did that. I think that's so <laughs> awesome because <laughs> I mean, all of the skills really are life skills in a way. And we just, in this particular book, we're applying them to, to injury, but a lot of them right. are so useful in other areas. So the emotion decoder is, is important because our brains have a tendency to want to clump our emotions into categories. Like this feels good or this feels bad, or this is good and this is bad. And it's just, um, you know, our brains are trying to be able to categorize information for quick ask. Success. Mm -hmm. And so, but it's really critical when you're experiencing distress in some way or overwhelm or, um, or having an emotion like that, that you actually are able to pinpoint the exact emotion that you're feeling. And so that's what the emotion coder does is it has this list of different emotions. So you can kind of scan through and go, oh, that's what it is. Because it's sometimes it's not until you touch the exact emotion that you're feeling that you can then kind of understand what's happening and, and move through it. And it has this really powerful ability to um, just bring what's what that emotion actually is up to the surface so that you can do something with it and understand it and, and address that specific emotion that you're feeling. It feels um, yeah, empowering absolutely. just to be able to label it. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. It's like my rational brain takes over and reigns in my emotional lizard brain. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's exactly what's happening. So is there another tool from the book that we can share? Yeah. Do you want to start, Cindy? Share your favorites? <laughs> oh, gosh. It's hard to pick favorites. Uh, <laughs> one of my that, uh, favorites that I use all the time is something called feel and focus. And this is like when you uh, find yourself stuck in a negative emotion and and maybe you have used the emotion decoder and you've named it and you've pinpointed it, but it's still it's still there. Uh, you, you're still hanging on to it. Um, what feel and focus is, you, you can't necessarily just strong arm your way out of feeling that feeling, but you can change what you focus on and that might then change your feeling. So for instance, if I am feeling anxious because I have a lot of deadlines. I'm focusing on how much work I have to do and how little time there is. So therefore, I'm feeling anxious about my deadlines. Hmm. If instead I want to feel um, empowered by my work or immersed in my work, instead, I might choose to focus on how um, grateful I am for the work that I do and how much I connect with the athletes whose stories I'm telling. Um, so I can't necessarily just change that feeling. But if I focus on something different, I might end up feeling different. And it even works like to uh, one time I was really upset about something and I went to the beach and I said, I'm feeling upset about this because I'm focusing on this interpersonal conflict I'm having. I want to feel calm. So I'm going to focus on the waves. And I did. And I felt calm and it was amazing. So I, I like that one a lot. Um, I have, I, I mean, like Cindy, I, I love them all. They're all my babies. So <laughs> like, I really enjoy. Um, so it's just so great to have different tools in your toolbox, but there's a few 
that stand out to me. Um, and it's funny, I think the two I'm going to say this time are not ones I've shared on other podcasts. Um, so it's funny how they, they kind of change, but one is sort of a funny story because I just used it for myself and it popped up yesterday. So one of the tools in the book is called random reminders. And so what you can do is in your phone, um, just write a reminder. That's like an affirmation or something that you want to say to yourself. And as you're recovering, and then I just like spin the wheel. If you guys, uh, this is going to date me, like, remember the price is right. So you (laughs) spin the wheel on the date. So I'll just do that. I'll spin the wheel on the date and wherever it lands and whatever time it lands on, it's going to randomly pop up and so it's just amazing that sometimes you get that message in, in a moment where you need it. And so funny story yesterday, uh, in the middle of setting up my new printer that should have taken 20 minutes and took an hour and a half, I got my random pop-up that said, you can do this. Oh, <laughs> <And so> wow. <laughs> I was like, oh yes. Okay. I can do this. So, um, you know, so that's a fun one, uh, and just an easy one to implement. The other one that's been on my mind, um, lately is the recovery profile, uh, recovery performance profile. So one of the challenges when you're injured is it's really important to have this conscious shift in your goals and understanding, like we just have a tendency to want to gauge our feelings of success based on what we were capable of doing before we were injured. Um, so even as you're you're recovering and you're getting stronger, there's this part of your mind that's holding on to, well, yeah, but you know, I could do a lot more before. So this actually is not that good when really there needs to be a mindset shift with that. So the recovery performance profile in that it asks you to identify, well, what are the top skills that you need to have in order to be successful with your recovery? So it's a conscious shifting of, you know, instead of um, the skills that you might need in order to be successful in running, there's a a shift where you're now you're looking at maybe the skills on there is like range of motion and stress management. And some of those might change filling out that performance profile and looking at ranking well, how important is this to my recovery and where's my ability right now can help you then shift what goals you need to set for yourself um, and keep your focus on that and engage your feelings of success based on the recovery goals that you set versus just still holding on to um, feeling like, yeah, this is okay, but it's not where I want to be. So kind of switching the metrics from maybe like, oh, how many miles you used to run a week, what pace you used to run to other things like range of motion or how you're, I guess, building mental strength. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting too that, I mean, one of the great things about the book and about working on your mental training through the process of injury is now you've practiced those skills. Now those skills, you know, you have them and because you're using the drills and have those in your toolbox, now you can start to apply some of those to your performance. So you've, you know, not only helped yourself through your recovery and get through your recovery with resilience and building your confidence, but you've also given yourself this whole box of tools that's just going to serve you in ways you can't even imagine when you get back into your running or um, or just in life. Okay, what about like visualization and affirmation for both injured and non-injured people? Yeah, I know this is something that Carrie uses with her athletes a lot, and I've certainly used it. Uh, I know Headspace has a recovery pack. And when I've been injured before, um, I have done some of those visualizations and um, something like actually visualizing my tissues healing, coming together, or even visualizing wow. like a warm light on the on the place that I'm injured um, is really powerful. And I mean, obviously, like I can't prove I'm a, a N of one, so I can't prove that it speeds healing, but I really do feel a powerful shift in my body, both mentally and physically when I do something like that. So I think that that is absolutely something that athletes can use when they're injured and that it's really helpful in that way. It's hard to know exactly what's going on, you know, because there's mind-body connections a mystery. But there were so many of your athlete profiles, uh, it seems like these people are doing that, like these professional yeah. athletes. One of the things that we know is happening in the brain when you're doing visualization is you're using the same preparatory neural pathways. So the the same exact pathways, the the only difference is that the motor skill is blocked. So if you are, say, using visualization to imagine yourself kind of getting back into your running form and feeling what that looks like, the preparatory pathways are exactly the same. So you are, in a way, in a sense, actually practicing that. So you can practice 
um, you know, one of the things that you might then use your visualization for is imagining yourself running with confidence and feeling strong so that you're practicing, you're kind of priming your brain for that in a way. So there's a lot of different ways mm. that you can use visualization. So you can use it both for the healing visualization. You can use it for kind of practicing skills, um, sort of a, a mental practice of skills that you're trying to build. You can use it for helping yourself and kind of prime your brain for how you ideally want to feel emotionally as you approach a situation. So there's so many different ways to do that. And then affirmations are really powerful too for both, right? I mean, those are, I use those with all my athletes injured or, or not injured and affirmations are a way for us to, to talk to ourselves and remind ourselves of how we really feel when we're feeling confident and healthy and strong. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, our, our brains are pretty hardwired to protect us. So they're good at picking up on things that are threats. The problem with that is sometimes what we perceive as a threat is not actually a threat. Our brains are sort of constantly, um, they like to narrate everything that's happening. And sometimes the narrations <laughs> that are happening are like, what if this happens? And, and you're, suddenly you're like, um, you know, trying to, to plan what, what you're going to do in the next, if there's an apocalypse and you're like, it's all in your head, but you're like all worked up and freaking out about this thing. And, and I, we're just wired that way. And so affirmations are, it's a great thing to do when you kind of sit down in a space where you're feeling calm and you're feeling confident. And you're like, okay, so what are the things that I need to hear in those moments when I'm struggling? And what is actually your state these powerful positive statements as if they're already true. And some interesting research um, recently has come out around instead of saying like, I am strong, I am prepared, it might be instead like you are strong, you are prepared, you can do this. So my random reminder was you can do this instead of I can do this. And sometimes um, having a, a directive um, their finding is might be for some people a little more impactful. So it's almost like you're hearing someone else saying it to you instead of you saying it to yourself. I go back and forth and use both. Um, so that's just something to know with your affirmations or your internal dialogue to try both and see which one feels mm. the most impactful. Yeah. My favorite one personally is you do hard things, which reminds me that, I mean, that's objectively true. Like I've done some hard things. And so, um, but it's almost like someone else is reminding me, you do hard things, you can do this hard thing too. So Cindy, what's harder, writing a book or running a marathon? <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I don't know that I can answer that. I would say that they're both very challenging in different ways. But um, in both cases, it helps to have a support system to, to guide you. So just like you have a training group or a training partner, it was uh, really a gift to be able to collaborate with someone like Carrie. I think you can hear her expertise um, in this topic. And uh, so I feel really grateful for that. Now, I kind of wanted you to address the fear of re-injury because I know I've gone through periods of chronic injury and even though I've recovered, I've worked through it, there's that fear in the back of my mind. You know, you're like hyper aware of that part of the body. Uh, I've had like hamstring issues and I'll be in a marathon and feel like my hamstring's starting to cramp up and like then your mind can go crazy and there's a tendency to be like overly protective of that area. So what tips do you have for people who are almost afraid to test themselves again um, lest they get re-injured, how do you regain that confidence? Yeah, it's, um, again, like one of the biggest things to know is that it's normal to have that. Our brains are wired to protect our body. So I bet everybody that has been injured can identify with that feeling of you become so hyper aware of that part of your body that any sensation you have is like, oh, what is that? What's <laughs> happening? Right. Um, so, uh, you know, that's normal. It's like our ears kind of perk up, right? If you're an animal, it's like, what is that? What's uh, something's happening I need to pay attention to. And that's a normal kind of re protective response when you feel something and that you feel that fear. So one thing to know in, in that situation is make sure you're not holding your breath and that you're breathing. So when you're holding your breath or eliciting your stress response, you can intensify the feeling of, of pain or the sensation. Um, so to just make sure you're breathing and that you're kind of talking yourself through it and talking to yourself in a way that maybe you would talk to like one of your athletes, if you're a coach or one of your most beloved friends, if they were going through this, um, like, okay, you don't need to panic that you're feeling something, but let's, you know, maybe we need to just slow down for a minute, see what that is. Or instead of kind of feeding the stress response, which is going to, it can change the perception perception of the sensation that you're feeling. So it's important to kind of just talk yourself through that. And fear of re-injury is, you know, it's a normal thing to go through because once you're back, you're like, oh, please, I don't, I just, mm. I just don't want to lose this again. Um, so you appreciate it more almost when you're back yeah, and you're like absolutely. more afraid to go back to injury. <laughs> 
Well, and we have an exercise in the book too called a pain log. So, I mean, you're talking about kind of the acute response there and how you can kind of breathe and talk yourself through it. But um, sometimes I think just being really specific about what you are feeling and when you are feeling it, noting that down and then taking that to your healthcare provider and being really specific about what, what kind of pain is okay, what kind of pain is not, is not okay. Sometimes that can be really helpful too. We've probably touched on this, but I'm just wondering for those that are not injured, have never been injured as a runner, what can they do to just prepare themselves mentally to rebound if they do get injured someday? One of the things that we know through the research is that um, athletes that are high in this um, sort of psychological construct called hardiness are more likely to get through their injury experience successfully. So hardiness is made up of three different aspects. And those aspects are so control, like, do I feel like I have some sense of of control over the situation or not control, but like um, an ability to influence the situation that's in front of me? Do I have um, an ability to do something that might change what's in front of me? The other piece is uh, challenge. So challenges, do I see stressors as a normal part of the human experience? And can I see a stressor in front of me and and see it as a challenge that is capable of, of being overcome? Um, so a stressor isn't stressful until we decide I can't handle the thing in front of me. So can mm. you see stressors as challenges? That final one is commitment. And commitment is, are you capable of persevering through a challenging situation? And can you continue to work towards a goal, even though you've been faced with a setback? Um, So those three different constructs, if you can work on, um, so you're not injured, but working on, you know, the different drills in the book that help you to work on this idea of hardiness, which is commitment, control, and challenge. I like it. I've never heard of hardiness in this way. I've heard of anti-fragility uh, and uh, grit. You know, Angela Duckworth talks about grit, yep. but hardiness. Yeah, that's a good one. And I think too, working on your support system. I mean, everyone needs support all the time. And when you're injured, yeah. you might need even more support, but that's something that you can be building um, just your connections with your friends, with your family, with your running partners, because you know, that's going to make your life better in the long run anyway. And then those people are going to be there for you when you need them when you're injured. So that's an excellent point. We definitely want to point out that asking for help is a sign of strength, not weakness. So what are some signs that a runner needs to seek the support of a mental health professional? You know, maybe they've been trying to deal with it on their own or just in their their small support group. But, you know, what are some signs that they need to be working with someone one-on-one? I think, you know, if you're finding that um, you're physically cleared, right? So you're every, all the doctors, everyone's saying like, you're, you're really good to go. Like your body's ready to take on whatever it is that you want to do. And you're still finding yourself hesitating and feeling fear and the fear of re-injury in a way that it's holding you back from doing what you really want to do. So you kind of know, you do your gut check and you know, like, I, I know that it's my head that's keeping me from, from doing the thing that I want to do. Then it, it might be worth seeking out the help of someone. And we do in the book, we have like a list of different things to kind of like, if you're experiencing any of these things, like, you know, it might be worth reaching out to someone and having a conversation. Right. Things like if, if it's interfering, uh, if your feelings and your emotions, if you're finding that you can't handle them or they're like interfering with your daily life, if you're having kind of unexplained changes in like your sleeping and your eating habits and those kinds of things, um, those are all red flags. I mean, for anyone really, but um, mm-hmm. but you may be at increased risk of them if you're an injured athlete. Yeah. And if you just find, you know, oftentimes our, your body might be healed before your mind is in a way. And, uh, and sometimes we just need some more help. Uh, building the confidence back. Um, but also if it was a traumatic injury um, and the event was traumatic for you and you're finding yourself sort of reliving the experience or, um, you know, avoiding certain things because um, it's, it's bringing up too much anxiety. And then if you're having any suicidal ideation um, or thoughts of harming yourself, you know, so so there's some things that are, um, you know, you really want to make sure that you're seeking out, you know, a mental health professional. You know, sometimes there's also issues just with with regaining your confidence back in that part of your body and, and regrouping and maybe um, rethinking your goals moving forward or you're at a place where now suddenly you're wondering if maybe you should leave your sport and trying to figure out, am I making that out of fear of re-injury or am I really ready? And sometimes it can really help to have a sounding board, 
there's some really great resources out there. If you go to the website that is the Association for Applied Sports Psychology, you can look up on there and find a CMPC that's in your area or maybe that specializes in helping uh, people get through through injury and find someone that will be the right fit for you. Awesome. That sounds great. Well, we'd encourage everyone to get their hands on the book Rebound because it's so helpful. And you thanks so much, ladies, for taking the time to talk to us today. And also have people check out the Injured Athletes podcast. That's the title of yeah. it, right? Yeah. Injured Athletes Club. Um, and we have links to the podcast, the Facebook group to order the book and all that on our website, which is uh, injuredathletesclub.com. So we're, we always say, we're sorry you're here, but we're glad you're with us. So come on, join us <laughs> if you need to. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Excellent. Well, keep up the great work. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so, much. so much. Thanks for having us on. Thank yes. you. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Carrie and Cindy. Definitely go get a copy of the book if the conversation resonated with you. It's called Rebound. And we'll have a link on our website with the show notes to this episode and any links that were mentioned. And once again, if you're going to be at the Pittsburgh Marathon this year in May and you're interested in info about our MTA meetup that we have planned, shoot us an email, send it to trevor at marathontrainingacademy.com or use the contact form on our website. And you can also message us through Facebook and Instagram. We are at Marathon Academy. And if we can help you in any way reach your marathon goals, whether you're bouncing back from an injury or training for a marathon, wanting to stay injury-free, or maybe you're training for a PR or Boston qualifying time, we've got all types of athletes training with us right now. And we have now 11 coaches on the team who have an array of skills and range of uh, clients that we can coach uh, all the way from beginners to sub three hour marathoners. So yeah, if you want to learn more about how our coaching program works, we have a coaching page on our website. And since we were talking about injury, we do have a free resource called the runner's toolbox, eight inexpensive items that you can keep at home to help fight and prevent injuries. It's just a free download that you can get when you sign up for the MTA email newsletter. You can see that over at marathontrainingacademy.com. So until next time, keep taking action in your goals. And remember, you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life. Right on my right.